0: Is that sirens or people's wailing in the background? It's people it's actually people whooping. Oh, whooping. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to Coffee with Butterscotch, the official podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. Butterscotch shenanigans. We are Butterscotch Shenanigans. We are a three brother video game studio, and this is our show. It's a show for fans of Butterscotch Games and also other independent game developers like us Uh, i'm seth i'm adam and i'm sam and you can find our games at games.bscotch.net we also have an excellent community over at forums.bscotch.net and if you would like to ask questions or vote for questions for future podcasts you can do so over at podcast.bscotch.net also this show is not for children so children get out go away Although there was a little confusion last week when we talked about this, because I believe we said that if you are a child over 18 years old with a beard. Yes, you're allowed to listen. Yeah, that wasn't an that wasn't an exclusive statement. That was yeah, inclusive. It was inclusive, just just to clarify. Okay, you don't need to have a beard no. to listen. But it does help. It does help absorb the sound waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened this past week, gents, gentlemen, oh, oh, mans, so many things, so many have happened. Well, let's let's uh, <laughs> maybe we should start with just personal life stuff. Uh, Sam, I think Sam has the biggest piece of news. Sam, so I have had a tube sticking out of my chest that reached into my heart for the past geez, three G- months, four G- months, months? G- three months. Yeah, it's, it's been, been seven a while. Months since August. That's annoying. Um, yeah, so since August, <laughs> as, as annoying things go, that would be one of them. <laughs> so uh, that was a, a tri-catheter port. Uh, basically, it was three nozzles that stuck out above uh, or right below my collarbone and had a pipe that was sort of tunneled into my neck, into my jugular. And then the, the pipe itself ended up basically in the heart. Uh, the point of that, of course, is to deliver delicious dark magic cancer medicine. Um, as well Mm -hmm. as that new shiny immune system I got. So uh, one of the biggest sort of ends of treatment things is that you get to get your port taken out because you don't need it anymore. So on Monday, showed up at the hospital around 9, chatted with a fine fine young gentleman who then proceeded to stab me in the chest repeatedly uh, and take out this pipe that was in my chest. It was very gross. I tweeted a picture of it. There's chest meat on it. There's some of me. (laughs) Some of me was left on it. uh, Some of your If you want to get real intimate with Sam, then look at that picture. You have seen inside my chest. (laughs) Just (laughs) gross. I I kind of imagine that it looked like, you know that scene in The Matrix when he pulls the thing out of his throat? Yes. You know? I imagine it was like that only out of your aorta pretty much so oh yeah. when he wakes up in the in the yeah like, in the vat of gross amniotic De- fluid sac fluid yeah It's pretty much what happened except there's an Indian doctor in the room and he's holding it with a little caliper thing and so when you when they took your port out then you got flushed down a tube and flew naked down a sewer pipe and yeah it was quite yeah. the adventure actually uh, I haven't been able to leap across anything yet. In any sort of, you know, magnificent fashion. Well, obviously you just don't believe hard enough yet. Yeah, I'm assuming the powers come later. Just be yourself. yourself. Speaking of which, did you know that that whole Matrix uh, using humans as batteries thing wasn't actually the original intention of the thing? What do you mean? They did that because they thought audiences would be too dumb to understand what what the actual premise was, which was that they were using humans' brains for processing power. Oh. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Which makes, makes so sense. much more sense. But instead, they're like, "No, we're gonna go with this battery thing." Because people, I remember they even like. I'm pretty sure they even like just had Morpheus show you a battery on the in the movie, right? He's like, "Here's a Duracell." Uh, yeah. He's like, "This is this is in case you're too dumb. This is what I'm. This is what I'm talking about." Right. Actually, here. I don't know if that does make sense because according to Moore's law, sometime by about 2040, the average desktop computer will have more computing power than the human brain. Uh, so. Well, here, let, me, let, me, let me ask you two questions, Seth. Yeah. Mm. Uh, if you're going to ask me to quantify that, you're about to get silenced. <laughs> that, that was the first question, which was, how the hell much processing power does a human brain have? We have no idea because it's not. Well, it has about as much as what a desktop computer will have in 24 hours. <laughs> so it's, uh, okay, that makes sense. Could I, yeah. I've clearly been lawyered. Yep. I will, I'll, so, I'll, I'll just uh, accept that argument for, for what in, it is. In other news, we are going to be riding a train Mm -hmm. to to, Jamtown to GDC. Every year we go to GDC. And by every year, I mean, we've done it twice. (laughs) (laughs) But for two years, that's that's, we're going to be doing it a third time, making it a pattern. Uh, But this time around, we, we realized that there's a whole crap load of independent game developers that go to GDC. And we just don't know very many of them. Uh, there's a whole like circle there's like a community of of indie devs that we're just not a part of and a lot of them ride the train from chicago to san francisco for game developers conference every march Mm -hmm. and it's a 53 hour trip and you also make a game while riding the train so you have 53 hours to make a game as as you guys know we can do that uh we can make games pretty fast. We can make four so, games in that time window. Maybe five. We sure. should. Well, that's assuming no sleep, though. Yeah, that's true. we got going to take two out for sleep. All right. So, we'll make six games. We'll make at least uh, game 12 movie. games. So we're going to be doing that. I think the train jam is going to be on, like, the March 10th or something? Yep. It's a Thursday before uh, GDC. Yeah. So I've never ridden a train across the Rocky Mountains. That's going to be freaking rad. Does it go across the mountains or does it go through... Are we, are we going to be like in a tunnel for five miles underneath the Well, I mean, it has to go past the mountain somehow, right? I mean, maybe just maybe, goes over like the, unless the it goes tip up of to the Alaska to like a perfect point and then just bends over the other side and goes just at like down. a 45 degree Maybe yeah, it's a like a roller coaster tycoon and we actually just build up speed for 500 miles and, and then ramp over ramp. the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> would that be and cool then, if actually if the humans <laughs> got around that way by ramping off <laughs> stuff? That would be amazing. I would. I would be terrified. I've tried ramping off of things, like with my bicycle or whatever. Uh, So far, every time it's ended up with me just on my stomach sliding and, you know, grinding my chest off with gravel. Well, yeah, but, but just think, though, if, like, in the same way that engineers design bridges and have, like, learned how to make a bridge that spans a chasm, you know, safely and can carry infinite poundage across it and so on, if you applied, you know, engineer brains to just... To this you, ramping problem. Yeah, to so using ramps as a way to just move around. Then presumably we'd have just ramps everywhere that worked perfectly fine every time you used them. What about like a busy intersection? That would be one of the most amazing <laughs> so, things so, to you know, witness. Right, you have some like oncoming, if it's an intersection, where you have on one side they had to design the ramps so that you go like 10 feet higher than the other exactly. side. It, yeah, it'd be like watching... Shit, I don't know. I don't know anything in the world that that would be like. <laughs> that would be I was trying to draw an analogy and I don't have one. Drawing a blank. Yeah. That'd be cool, though. I'd be down with that. Maybe when, maybe when Uber brings uh, their fleet of self driving Teslas into yeah. the world in five years. Yeah, because you'd uh, have to, like, there'd have to be some calculation probably about your speed and weight to make Uber ramps. Arrow. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, humans can barely go 30 miles an hour without, you know, having to send a goddamn text message and then smash into a light pole. So, yeah. Uh, I think we need robots to drive our machines it, at that point. Because robots can probably text and drive without any trouble. Probably. At all. And they have 360-degree vision. They have infrared night vision. They can talk to other cars. I mean, at least by 2040, we know they'll be able to text and drive at the same time. Well, no. Actually, that's true, right? Because by 2040, they still won't be able to because then they'll be just as smart as people, and people can't text and drive. Right. So we have to wait until post-2040 to create our ramptopia. So I guess, but that's only twenty forty plus six months, because then they'll be twice as smart as people. That's true. The solution in a in a car to make it text and drive if it's not as smart as a person is just give it two brains: one brain oh. for texting, one for driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Problem that is, solved. Um, that is some outside the box thinking, right there. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's uh, it's called dual core processing. It's this new thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that. And then uh, in Crashlands news this week, yeah, all all bosses are done. Like so done, done, done. In the game, fightable, beatable, killable. Done to the max. They do need some. The fights themselves probably need some balance. Passing. They need some tweaking, or do they? Maybe some of not. them are basically impossible, yeah. which makes them <laughs> super challenging boss fights. Which is what people. The crave, only boss fights that are required to play the game or to to get through the story of the game are the Hugo boss fights. Which means that all, the other ones could be nearly impossible. They could be as crazy as we want them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you can also- be one of the select few who manages to beat those without any trouble because there will be some of you, undoubtedly. Oh, there yeah. Are. And the boss fights have revealed some interesting issues with some of the... So every, every creature that you encounter in the wilderness is tameable. And some of the creatures, their attacks are sort of... They're designed to fight small things like you and other creatures. And so some of them... Uh, one in particular is this flappy red creature called the Vama, and it shoots at this barrage of exploding tadpoles out of its mouth. And n- under normal circumstances, like if you're fighting a Vama, only one of those will ever hit you. Maybe, maybe, two. maybe two, but it shoots out like five at a time. But when it's fighting a boss, all five will hit the boss because the boss is big. And right. uh, so, I mean, it does kind of depend on the boss, but. But my god, that creature just decimates bosses. <laughs> so now we have to try to figure out how do we bounce around that. Uh, I simply don't know. Or if but we do. The Vama is the go-to boss slayer. Yeah. It's the boss murderer. We may just actually have to redesign boss fights so that, they, so that now the expectation is that you will be fighting them with a Vama. <laughs> <laughs> Even the ones where you can't get a Vama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's also there's other stuff we could do. For example, Vamas could deal a certain type of damage, which most bosses are resistant to, hypothetically. Like tadpole tadpole damage. damage. Tadpole damage. (laughs) It's it's a style of damage. There's magic damage, poison damage, tadpole damage. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) tadpole to resist is just not high enough for this. No can't handle it. And uh, so Adam and Sam have been working on they've finished the bog story. Correct. Right. So bog story is done. Talk about that cuz I don't know I don't know shit about well, it. Well Sam yeah, look, why don't you anything. talk about the bog story and then I'll talk about the tundra story. Yes. Yeah, so well the we we divide the work in each of these zones for a story into what we call the main line and then the sidelines. And so a main line is is as you would suspect the thing that kind of drives the player for for progression purposes. So that gives you new tools. Uh, you know, access to new stations, and it's kind of like a uh, progress gating system for us. Well, and it's the thing that you would do, like, it's the thing that you have to do to get from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Right. And it always involves, at some point, fighting Hugo Duco. It's um, a big, you know... It's basically the ass. story that revolves around Hugo. Hugo. Right. And Duco. all of the other sidelines, so that's that's the main thing. And the, the way we divide up the work on that is that I did a first sort of... Uh, mechanical and writing pass on the whole story from the Savannah, the Bog, and the Tundra. And then Adam came back on the back end and sort of rewrote and re-engineered it to be better in the Bog and is now working on the Tundra. Um, and that involves a lot of sort of fleshing out of some vague concepts that were put in there or just totally new stuff. So uh, with his pass through, it's been hilarious because I haven't gotten to experience, I didn't, I didn't get to experience in the Savannah uh, being surprised by a story because I wrote all of them. And so going through the bog was super fun, actually, because Adam rewrote a lot of stuff, and there were just a lot of very funny moments and things that I actually got to giggle about, which was fun. Um, So I just finished the... Adam finished the sort of redo of the bog story uh, a couple days before and started working on the Tundra mainline, and then I came in and did all the sideline fleshing out, which he'll probably come back and do a second pass on. Yeah, so then I'll get to be surprised again and then re-engineer that stuff. And right. I'm the envy of the whole town because I haven't seen any of this shit. And then I get to be surprised by all of it when yep. I play. Yeah. So I want to, so. I will spin a little. I want to tell one of the little stories. It's a very Do simple it. one. There's no, there's no like big spoilers or anything here, but this is one of my favorite, uh, sort of random stories that ended up coming out of this. And that is that grandmammy, who is the sort of leader of the Tendram people who come from the Savannah. And she's a big, uh, sort of a core, you know, mover of story stuff in the Savannah. But when you get to the bog, uh, one of the bog people, the Brubus, sort of steps forward as you know the, the torchbearer on that stuff, and so you do a few side quests for Grand Mammy, And At one point, uh, it comes out that grandmammy basically loves fishing. Okay, and she's she's getting a little bit of an itch because she can't figure out how to fish in the bog because there's acid, it's just it's acid of water. everywhere, and like things live in the acid. But she can't get a fishing pole in there. Uh, and she also's been what she's actually been trying to do is is figure out how to create a sort of a fishing hole where these these fish congregate because in in the world of Crashlands you can't just like throw your, your fishing line into the water anywhere. Uh you have to find one really of these little sort of active fishing zones and represented by ripples on the water. And so she's looking to you know bring some of these into this cool base that she built. And she asks you to uh go and track down this Brubus, who's one of the natives of the bog, called Kingfisher. And, uh, Kingfisher lives like really far out east. And when grandmammy mentions this, Jack, who is one of her sort of buddies, one of her mercenaries, he's a quadrupus and he's like the spy master guy of this whole, uh, whole operation. And Jack pipes in. He's like, grandmammy, you can't just dig through my contacts that I've been, you know, cultivating for years and then I have to <laughs> do this this uh, communications thing and then just use them for your personal gain. It's just, you know, you can't. Just for your, for your dumb hobbies. For your stupid fishing hobbies. And is like kind of like itching, you know. She's got like an addiction sort of situation going on here. She's like, I just, you know, I need to fish. So it's going to happen and I'm going to pull rank sort of, sort of thing. <laughs> so she's like, shut up, Jack. It'll be fine. And then so you go and your job is just to basically act like a stranger who's just approaching this brubus out of nowhere. So you're going undercover to learn about fishing. Yeah. You just, all you want is the recipe to uh, basically a, a seed recipe for one of these, creating one of these pools that allows you to fish. And so you go and, and you find Kingfisher off in the east. And he's got this cool little setup where it's, you know, a couple, couple rows of, of acid. Um, and then a nice little gold platform that he's built for himself in the center. And you approach him and he's like, Oh, hello, stranger. What brings you this way? Uh, and you're like, Oh, hey, uh, we're, we're actually, we're looking for you, Kingfisher. We wanted to ask you. And he's like, You'll never take me alive. And then he summons a ton of snorbles, uh, who attack you immediately, of course. And you take out the snorbles. And he's like the snow stick used to train uh, very upset. <laughs> and then you're like hey it's like we're not trying to do anything and he's like he's like I won't tell you anything I'd rather eat this explosive than do it and then he just eats an explosive and he just explodes <laughs> it's, you, you get this recipe and you're like that's oh. a pretty unstable contact yeah yeah he is that's right so Jack, you didn't use the secret passphrase or whatever right so Jack mentions this like as you're heading out he's like you know that guy in particular took me a really long time to kind of like win over. Um, so yeah, you basically find out that he's he's a little unstable, uh, or he's sort of gotten mixed in with the wrong crowd at some point. It'd be just, even better if uh, if Jack is like, yeah, it took me a really long time to win that guy's favor because he's pretty volatile. <laughs> he's pretty- <laughs> right. So um, Adam, I'm sure he's we'll got be on some issues. <laughs> so uh, so he eats uh, this explosive, and of course, out of him pops the recipe you need. Uh, you take oh nice, you take it back conveniently. He just you had, had it in his just body, had it in his body. So you take it back to uh, <laughs> Grandmammy, and Grandmammy of course is is pumped, but you. Explain explained to her and Jack is nearby what happened, uh, which is that this guy ingested an explosive because he thought you were clearly some part of something nefarious Has that to get him. Uh, and then Jack and Graham maybe kind of have this, this hilarious uh, battling out where... little scolding. A little scolding, yeah. A little scolding. But she ends up being like, well, you know, it'd be a shame not to use it right now. <laughs> uh, like, like right now. I mean, then he would have died in vain. Yeah. So, so. Don't we, he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so, yeah. That's one of the that's one of the side stories. There's nice. there's a ton of them, and it, we actually looked at the uh, the number of sort of quest nodes in the Savannah. is about 103 sort of little quest chunks, mm-hmm. and the bog it ended up rounding out at about 147, I think. So we got a nice uh. nice growth of of stories and content, and there's characters that get pulled through, um, and storylines that that get affected by your activity in the previous biome as well. Things you get access to. So. So we can expect in the Tundra it's going to be 329? Approximately. Is yeah. that the, how the math I goes? That's how the math goes. Well, we got two data points so it can go however you want it to go. We can extrapolate <laughs> with whatever formula we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think cool. I'll be aiming for just, uh, I think, 140. It seems like a good amount for the amount of content there. And the, uh, the Tundra has slightly more stuff in it than the bog does, as we discussed last week. So True, um, true. We'll aim for for you know, a little over that, for that place. So, I mean, that, that means that at the end of the day, there's going to be over 400, probably, you know, little quest notes, which is nuts. So That's a lot. We've made a monster, as it turns out. We have, have indeed. I do remember when, uh, when original World of Warcraft came out, they were talking about how the game had such an insane number of quests in it. I believe it had about 900-something. Oh, really? So, oh, is that right? But that was a game that took seven years to make with a team of yeah. a rather large team. So team we're pushing it. A rather large team. We'll get team. there one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, cool. Well, do you guys want to hit some questions or is there any other uh, Crashland stuff we got? Is there any other? I feel like there was something else we were going to talk about. We could talk about our poster. Oh, yeah, idea. the poster. Do we want to talk about it? Maybe we wanna talk about it. I do don't know. It. Do we want to spoil it? <laughs> no, don't spoil it. There's a poster. We'll there's going to be, gonna be gonna a poster, that. guys. We don't know anything about it yet, so I'm just going to say that there's there's going to be another poster. Well, we, we, we actually know do know a lot about it, it, but we're not going like. to tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically, we have we have envisioned the launch day, uh, or the the announcement day poster. Yes. Um, the one that will have the actual date when the game is coming out on it and all that good stuff, which we don't know yet, so don't even ask, but that that's the... We know what it's going to look like when we do know. So for those of you guys who keep asking us when it's going to come out, pretty soon you're going to have a sweet poster to look at. And, that's, that's, how, <laughs> right. and that's how we're going to announcement. So unless you see a date on a poster that is really epic as fucking awesome, then then that's not right. Then that's not right. All right. We've said too much. Move on. Good. Go. All right. Uh, questions. So these questions are submitted by people in Bscotch ID. And it is through podcast.bscotch.net. So if you want to get your questions into our mouths and ears, then head over to podcast.bscotch.net and put your stuff in there. Technically, you'd get <laughs> your questions in our ears and you'd get your answers in our mouths. I just want to point and, that out. Well, And then you're going to look, put your stuff in podcast.bscotch.net. Put your stuff in there and it gets in our mouth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first question comes from C. Bigsby. <laughs> In Crashlands, will all quests be linear, or can quests have multiple paths slash endings? E.g., stab this burglar, or help him rob that elderly tendrom. I that's kind of a violent set of choices. Yes, kind of game <laughs> this we we're making? This isn't Fallout. Just so kidding. It's you not Grand like Theft everything. Auto. Uh, well, so- although we, Sam did just tell a story where that ended with a tendrom. <laughs> suiciding by explosive device yeah i I mean it is the case that most stuff in our game is basically lighthearted murder i mean that's that's, actually yeah that's totally true uh
1: that's that's actually what i was
0: gonna say which is the weird thing about it is that there is there are plenty of dark stories but they're all told in such a way that you just are giggling the whole time so that's kind of the that's kind of the flavor the flavor of the story uh but in the question of just are the quests going to be linear? The answer is yes, because what else would they be? Circular? So the weird curved, thing about doing the, the multi-path uh option is it takes a it takes a lot of extra time and there's kind of a question of what does it add at the end of the day. Um you could say that it adds replayability, but it only does if you do it for like the majority of the content in the game. But it also tends to in most games lead to similar outcomes, right? Because you kind of if you think about The Walking Dead, for example, they use, they use what we refer to as like the... The game. Yeah, the game. They they use a sort of a fat python model. So you can think about it like a snake, right? So the snake body goes along in a sort of linear fashion for a little bit. And then if it's eaten recently, then it's a big sort of blowout. But then it all kind of collapses back down onto one point somewhere down the line. And that's usually how, how uh, you know these sort of branching or multi-storytelling stuff works because the amount of extra content that you have to make sort of it depends on the on the type of game of course but for most people like the playing of the game is not necessarily going to be interesting uh, again just because of something like you know being able to stab this guy or or help. Well, this let's guy. let's talk about this though because this is something that people often point to as being a like a flaw as in like oh yeah this game has a linear story in it right but I have never seen a game that doesn't have a linear story because as a human being, the only way you can experience stories is linearly, right? I mean you can't experience them in parallel or something. Well, what they really mean is that a game has multiple stories that you get to like, you know, choose your own adventure through. Yeah. yeah. And it's but I think it's interesting that people sort of demand that of games and not of other media well i think you know? the 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 question I have about that is that uh in the case in the case of a game you know if if I'm being asked i guess in the case of a book let's say it's a book just for this for the sake of taking the game part out just the question of is it more interesting to have a story that's a linear story or a branching story well but I think though that that you actually just nailed the difference right which is that the expectation from a game is that it's a thing that you interact with that you get to influence what happens so instead of just being a thing you participate in like like a book, right? Mm-hmm. Where where you're a person being told a story. Uh, and certainly in games, you can do that. Uh, and a lot of games, maybe even most games do. But because games are an interactive medium, probably it the feels reason- like you yeah, it, should be able- Well, right. Because you have the illusion of choice constantly. Because you have this, all this, you have like tactics that you can choose. Do I kill this guy or not? How do I conserve my ammo? There's all these different things that you can do in a typical game where you feel like you're in control right? And right. the story is probably the big exception where, because it's, so, I mean, like I think about how much time we've put into building the story in Crashlands. And 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 to be honest, it's a pretty, like, there's a lot of stuff in it, right? But it, compared to, you know, stuff on the scale of like Skyrim, it's tiny. Right. Like, just minuscule compared to that kind of thing. And even still, it's taken us, as a full-time job, you know, months to put together. So if now we had to go in and make because when you have when you have a nonlinear story, what you're really saying is there are a whole bunch of decision points where you can then be told a different story. Yeah. What you want is you want branching, right? right. Where like I do one thing and X happens, I do another thing and, and Y you happens. You want multiple stories that you get to sort of choose between. And so that means that now we as the writers have to take something that's already com- – because it's already really complicated actually just to tell a fairly linear story. But now if the thing has to have all these interacting parts that branch off and then tell completely different stories yet still somehow get the player through the same game content then holy yeah. shit. Right? Well and and if you do want if you do want true branching stories where like let's say let's say at 10 different points in the game I am I am encountered with a decision and I can do thing A or thing B and either one of those decisions has far-reaching consequences that completely changes the outcome of the game, right? Uh, if if the story were only set up so that at 10 different points I had that decision to make, there would be over 1,000 endings, right? Right, And I mean, that's only 10 decisions that I've made. So the story even wouldn't feel that dynamic at that point, even though there's 1,000 different endings, because I only get to experience one. Yeah. well, right. And the way that other games, like, so if you look at... So Fallout is one of my favorite examples of of an you know, open world storytelling game. And we actually modeled ours kind of off of that so that there's kind of a mainline quest that is how you get to the end of the game. And there are a few decision points in that game where you can, but, like, but basically kind of like almost at the end, right? Actually, I think it really is just at the end. But yeah, So your, you your decisions early on yeah. kind of influence that, but it's basically because by kind of allying yourself with certain people or groups or whatever, you basically limit your dialogue options with other characters. You basically, you kind of prune this this huge tree so that you end up being able to get to different parts of the game. Right. But it's not like they have, they don't have like 10 completely different stories that you can, you know, some kind of like swap completely into it arbitrarily in the game or anything like that. Right. They have one story that has a few flavors added on top and you get to experience those flavors by... Uh, by making a few particular decisions in the game, and I want—I yeah. well, also want to talk about just the sort. You know, we've talked about loops in games and about loops sort of running out at some point. Where okay, the player's been doing it for a long time, doing like doing an activity to get a reward for a very long time. Uh, at some point, at some point, it just kind of grows stale, right? No matter how interesting the game is, the game itself. Uh, when it comes to the story stuff, and I think also there's a consideration here with regards to you know the the age of YouTube and less players because. For example, for me, I didn't want to play through the whole Walking Dead series again. I wanted to see what happened in the other stories, right? And the other sort of endings for that branching one. But yeah. I didn't want to have to play it the whole time. Yeah, and, because most of the game, you're still just doing the same stuff right, that you did exactly. the first time. Right. <laughs> and, and because in order to have like a sort of semblance of control over those, over a branching story, oftentimes it has to follow a sort of a, a model where a model where you end up, having that sort of python structure right so everything kind of collapses on one point so after i finished playing the walking dead then i just went and watched the youtube videos of the alternate endings um and so i think there's a big question in the age of of let's players and stuff because the truth matter is for most players i i I would guess actually don't have any stats on this but i would i would guess that for most players they're going to play through any given game even if it has branches one time well no that's not true that's not true at all uh, most players won't even make it halfway through a game oh, yeah, no. <laughs> right, right so but of those rare players who do they'll only make it through one time right yeah, and so this is this is actually a, a, a sort of a it's a i don't know what kind of a problem you would call this but a diminishing returns problem it's such a dramatic diminishing returns because if the game starts out this in the same place and then branches interestingly from there you know, the, the longer the game goes, the fewer people are left because, you know, people, their detention just runs out after a while and they just stop playing stuff. I think, uh, the, the statistic I always like to throw around is, uh, Bioshock Infinite, which won all kinds of awards for narrative and, and visuals and audio and all kinds of stuff with one story. One story. It's only 12 hours long and it costs $60. So you're basically paying $5 an hour to play this game, right? Um, most, I think it was uh, Steam had some statistics about completion rates, and only 42% of players made it halfway. So, four, only 42% of players hit the six hour mark in that game. So, if you're making this really elaborate branching story where, like, every hour it branches again and again and again, and you have a thousand unique endings, you know, yeah, by the time most you most of there, your work is at the very end, and that's also what exactly. the fewest people experience. So if only like three percent of people even get to the end anyway, and then of those, you know, you have a thousand endings and each of each of those people who made it only experiences one of those endings. I mean, right. I think a more my a God. more interesting way to do it would actually be to reverse it. And this is what a lot of MMOs do with the different like starting zones and stuff, with your individual race. So you you essentially... That's a cooler way to do it as well, in my opinion. Right. It's a more I think it's just a more productive and kind of a more flavorful, perhaps, way to do it. Because everybody has their stories to share um, in that case. So when you start the game, if, you know, in the case of Fallout or World of Warcraft or anything like that, if you essentially start with a potentially very different story than everybody else, but eventually get funneled back in. I believe Dragon Age does this, depending on your race sometimes. Or not not the newest one, but the, the older one. yeah, ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. You, you start in your own thing. And I actually, that was one of the few games where I went back and just, I wanted to just see what the other early game stuff yeah, was. Yeah, I played through it as a human and as a dwarf. Right. So, and weirdly, when you start out with a different backstory, I feel like you become more attached to the character as opposed to like, because in, uh, for example, in Skyrim, you're like, I'm a cat man now. And then it just cuts right into the exact same cutscene <laughs> right. you would right. when you were a human and you're in the exact same circumstance as if. Well, it's just, it's purely cosmetic. There's no attachment to. Yeah. Right, so it feels like it matters, and I, f- and, you know, it kind of gets you more attached to the the character that way. So yeah, I guess so, long story short, Crashlands has linear quest lines, tons of branches uh, for side stories, but they all themselves are linear. To answer the question more generally, though, the Crashlands creator, the, the way that that questing works as a as an engineering system, right, definitely would allow you to make complex branching stuff where you could choose one option and then be unable to go on and do something that you previously had the option to do or whatever. So you could make that kind of, uh, of complex branching storytelling if you wanted to. You could do something like you'd have two guys give you a quest, and if you do one of the quests and come back, then you know guy number two gets blown up or something. Uh, yeah, because like, you can death would be the primary you can do that. Stuff. You can you can kill off NPCs and they're dead forever. Or because you can require that a quest be turned in in a certain place, you can just move the NPCs to some other place. So that you can no longer turn that quest into them or or whatever. so so there 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 are all kinds of like little hacks and cheats you could use on the system. and it would be pretty easy actually to to, to find a few kind of clever ways to do it that would make it feel very natural. So see Bigsby, we'll be uh, we'll be waiting for your brain. yeah, we'll be waiting for your creation whenever branching. we launch that thing. That'll be fun. I'm, I'm I'm really excited actually to see what kinds of insanity people come up with. Oh, definitely. I mean, just think about like League of Legends came from a freaking Warcraft three map mod, right? Like when you give people tools to do this kind of stuff, the things they come up with is it's just crazy. Uh, not that somebody's going to make you know the next League of Legends out of the Crashlands Creator. I'm pretty skeptical that would, about that, but yeah, uh, so. it would be kind of hard to use the Crashlands Creator to generate. <laughs> it's basically a storytelling engine more yeah. so than like a game uh, mechanic engine. So uh, okay, Mad Hat asks. I heard you where make the items in tiers. Okay, I'm going to just. I'm going to fudge this. Yeah, fudge it. Uh, I heard you make items and tiers in Crashlands, and I like it when a specific item or set of items is extremely hard to obtain because it gives a massive sense of accomplishment. I was wondering if there would be anything like this in Crashlands. Yep. Yeah, there's lots of things. <laughs> yeah. A, a large fraction of Crashlands content is, is difficult to to obtain. I, I think probably the, the best, the most concrete example is all of the boss fights. Mm-hmm. Because they're all optional, they're all hard as fuck, and they all yield to you some pretty awesome stuff. And you have to complete a right. yeah. pretty long storyline for each one as well. Yeah. So they take a while to get to. It's going to take multiple tries to kill a boss, pretty much guaranteed. I don't. Yeah, but on top of that, there's even some. There's even some sort of. I, I don't want to say generic legendary item because that sounds sort of oxymoronic, but. Um, we have some legendary items in the game that have pretty rare components and are super hard to make, but they blow out of the water sort of the other things in their, you know. In their tier. In their tier, yeah. So, and each legendary item requires you to find its legendary piece. So, there's like there's like a core piece that you need as sort of a foundational item in order to craft these things. Each a one of them has thing. its own unique thing. So. Yeah. Uh, So you got to find those as well. And And there's also, uh, we have also weapons that are fish that you can fish (laughs) up. You can fish them up out of the waters in each of the biomes that are super rare. And they are weapons that you will have used in Quadrupus Rampage. That is a fact. And yeah, so so we have lots of that kind of stuff. Um, and, And the game is sort of... The game is modeled around the idea that uh, you'll be playing it enough. I mean, it's a long game. There's a lot of content. You'll be playing it enough that you'll just kind of happen to get a lot of those on the way without like actively trying to do it just because you'll be in the game for so long. But then once you find one of those pieces, you'll be like, "Ooh, yeah, I'm going to build this. Actually, one of them, I I was very confused. Maybe maybe you guys can tell me what I what I saw in the game. (laughs) So I've been playing through the Tundra now. So there's a legendary pair of pants. The oh, tundra. the demon boots! The demon boots, and demon you need boots. you need a piece of demon hide. Oh yeah, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to do it. So I was off, like wandering around, kind of you know, a little a, a decent ways out into the tundra, killing some stuff, and all of a sudden this thing was. Was near me. I don't know. I didn't notice it come from somewhere. So this is where I was confused. It suddenly came out of a was, geyser. Popped out of a geyser. Is that what it did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly there was this <laughs> bizarre, like blobby beast, uh, like just kind of jumping around. And I was looking at it. and I was kind of like, I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> and it wasn't like attacking me or anything. It was just like hopping around. And I was, I was deeply confused. But I just assumed I was supposed to try to attack it, and I did. And then I ended up getting the demon hide, so it worked out just fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's so a, they, that's a torso demon from Torso Demon Saga. was it a Torso Demon? Like I think I was just like too confused to even like look at it or something. I don't know. It was it was a very strange experience. But we have yeah. So there's that kind of stuff. Fantastic. That's good. In the so game. That oh, that's funny. funny. That is funny. You know. <laughs> hmm. uh, but yes, there will be lots of hard stuff uh, and things that require you to work your ass off to get. Cool. I'm glad you found the torso demon. It's good. Yeah, it's awesome. It worked. It didn't break or anything. It didn't crash the game. Nope. Made made a nice pair. Of Great. Yeah, good deal. I also found the the fish the fish sword in the tundra. Ooh, wait! You have two of them then? I have I have the one from the bog and the one from the tundra. Mm, so there's Not also a, basically a hyper legendary I would call it uh, item, the gong, the gong, which it's is the come <laughs> you actually if you fish a craft th- it from all those fish, all three of the epic fishing weapons, then you the, you you'll find a man a Polari man, uh, who Will basically teach you how to make this sweet bait item, which then, when you're fishing, gives you a chance of actually catching the gong, who is like the most badass. I think it's the best weapon in the game. I'm pretty sure. I'm not super well, sure. Well, what I can say it, so far, it's up there. It's up. There. Is that the so far the fish swords, whatever the fish weapons, have been so good. Yeah. Uh, the is. problem, the problem is though that because my my job right now is to be playtesting balance and all that kind of stuff, that I'm not allowing myself to use them because they would make me too overpowered. To Just experience. in case somebody yeah, plays right. and right. doesn't find one. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I need I need to make sure I know how the game because it probably put me like. Uh, it puts you like two tiers ahead, basically. Well, but but they're they're sort of they're independent of the biome sort of because they're not tiered at all. So I mean I mean so of course they're like behind the, behind the scenes they have a level right? right, but but they don't fit anywhere in the crafting. Here, and it's a completely random drop, so it's not it's not like more likely to happen the first time you fish than the last or anything. True, like that. true. So, you, so you may just find it right off the bat. Yeah, you might find okay. it right off the bat. And if that happens, you're gonna be fucking overpowered like crazy, right? <laughs> For because I got because I got it towards the end of the of the bog, and I'm almost certain it was better than every bog weapon. Hmm. Mm, uh, yes. Or at least we might, close we might need to revisit these a little bit. <laughs> mean, well, it'd, we be, it, wow. it'd be better than every bog weapon except for the uh, bloodroot legendary weapon. Yeah, there's another legendary, right? Oh so, yeah, it's a weapon made of gums, right? <laughs> 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 like you yeah, do. Well, yeah, because yeah. on that note, it's been very fun for me playing through. Because I'm playing through again the, like, the tundra right now and just finished the bog. To because I haven't seen most of the things that are in there, or Read the descriptions of what they are in the game, which Mm -hmm. are, we have mentioned before, all the crazy lunatic Seth, or lunatic things that Seth has written. Besides my forte. (laughs) While being, like, completely out of his mind after 12-hour coding sessions or something. So, that's been super amusing. So far, my favorite one is when you were, suddenly you you posted one of the tooltips into Discord, and it was for the boreal, which is this little glowing mushroom. (laughs) And... I believe the tooltip says something like, "The boreal uses its uses its glow to lure in its prey at night, and then when the target gets close, it does absolutely nothing because it's a mushroom." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the one. well. Then to further the boreal, yeah. So the boreal is a tiny glowing mushroom. You can make a potted one, but I presume because of the fact that if you wanted a potted mushroom in the game that glowed, you'd have to have two sprites where one was glowing and one was not, or something. Uh, I assume this is the reason why the text for that says, for some reason, when you pot the boreal, it no longer glows. (laughs) Science, I guess. (laughs) But anyways, I'm really looking forward to seeing people uh, react to all those ridiculous descriptions of things. Yeah, I just decided to tool tip my way out of that one instead of making (laughs) a new item that glowed. So laziness abounds. It worked out really well. All right, so next question is from Scotch Stee. He says, or she, I don't know. Uh, Amazon Underground, your thoughts? Well, Scotch Stee, we looked into okay. this. Yeah, we didn't know what this was. Uh, my thoughts are that it could be awesome, but, but it, it probably isn't. It really isn't. And there's two reasons why it really isn't. One, for the consumer, uh, so to give everybody an idea of what. Amazon Underground is yeah. We should talk about what it is. Uh, it is a a app or a game selection from Amazon, which you as a user would essentially download this app called Amazon Underground for free. Which then, if a game is part of Amazon Underground, you get to play the game for free, even if it's a premium game. And if it has IAP content in it, if it's a free game, uh, then it wouldn't show you ads at all. And you have total access to all of the IAP for free as well. So, essentially, it just gives you free games, and the thing itself is free. Okay? Now... Or is it? That's the problem. So, my thoughts are basically this. If it followed more of, like, a Netflix-style model, where... Pay a subscription, and then... Yeah, people pay money, and then as a result of paying that money, uh, they get access to this big suite of cool games, and the developers on the back end get paid based on how much their game gets played, which is Amazon Underground's model... Um, it's a basically a pay-per-minute situation for us on the back end as a developer. So every single minute that someone plays, we get, what is it? 0.2 cents. 0.2 cents, right. The issue, though, uh, is twofold. One is that uh, for players, for anybody who uses the thing, the Amazon app, you got to understand that, that the reason it's free, because you might have noticed that if you're not paying for anything, Yeah, the question to always ask is, where is the money coming from? Right. And Amazon is paying the developers. So the question is, you're not paying Amazon anything. So Amazon is getting something of value, though, from you that they're then using to offset the cost of providing you with these games. So what is that thing? Turns out, uh, we read a bunch of reviews and stuff of Amazon Underground. The application itself uh, requires full access to every single thing in your phone. Your whole phone. Literally, your whole phone. And I'm not talking like, oh, your text messages and stuff. It does do that. Yes, it reads your text but messages. But also, your whole phone. But your camera, <laughs> uh, your audio, anything you've recorded, any videos, any pictures, all this stuff, it requires access to. And so the short answer for why it's free and how we still get paid on the back end where there's no advertising involved is that it's essentially... How we would a, if we did it. If we did it. Uh, it's essentially that it's a data mining operation. So, so you, the consumer, are the product. Congratulations! <laughs> what is that? Isn't that the saying? Like, if if something is free, then it's you that's that's the product for sale. Right. That's Absolutely. the product, yeah. Um, so basically, after after reading into it, we were like, oh, this feels gross. Uh, yeah. So that's on the consumer <laughs> end. So yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, that's the consumer side of things. And uh, Seth or Adam, if you want to talk about the developer side, yeah, you can yeah. Take it. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, we could probably double team. That <laughs> sure. So the first thing to say is that the is is to look at the payout rate. So again, we don't know where the money is coming from. Presumably, Amazon is uh is is selling something that belongs to you, <laughs> like your personal uh, your browsing habits, or who knows what. Yeah, we don't um, know where the money is coming from, other than from Amazon. I mean, may so just from be, Amazon. They may just be using it to generate additional revenue from any given person. Yes, yeah, they may. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. They may Amazon be accounts, So. Right, so they may look at the games that you like to play and then try to generate uh, you know, a list of books now that you maybe like because you like those games. I mean, who, who knows what it is that they're doing on the back. So anyway, so money is magically coming from somewhere. Amazon will pay out to developers 0.2 cents per minute of gameplay. So Seth was doing some number crunching earlier, and what that comes out to is is that in the uh, giving it the best kind of case scenario relative to what we're currently doing with like ads and all that kind of stuff on Google Play and and iTunes that comes out to like 3 quarters of what we would be making on those other platforms with no no revenue outside of ads yeah as well and it's not yeah. lot, there's it's not even allowed there's nothing else you can do right so yeah, yeah so it's basically like giving it the absolute best case scenario as a comparison point it's much worse than those other ones for for us as developers were there any other issues with it? Um, I think it's mostly just that it's a it's a pretty raw deal uh, because you also want to think about. So we, we crunched out the numbers. So like let's say for Crashlands, uh, yeah, for pay up uh, front f- games, it's a it's a bad yeah, deal. Yeah, so like so for Crashlands, five dollars on mobile is what our target uh, price range is, and if somebody were to play through the whole sixty hours of Crashlands, we would get about seven dollars. Minus Amazon's 30% cut, so less than less than $5, less than the asking price, right? But that's for players who would play all 60 hours, and like we talked about earlier, the vast majority of people who play Most game. players don't, yeah. yeah. But I think the bigger question is, how did it come – I think it's mostly sort of comes from market saturation, but, you know, how did it come to a point where uh, you will pay 12 15 whatever dollars to go see a movie, which lasts for 90 minutes? So, you'll pay $10 an hour to go see a movie – um, but you will not pay more than two cents per five minutes. Well, not even to, that, you're going to ask somebody, you're going to sell your soul to let somebody else do that on your behalf. Right, right, right. right. Um, I think it's it's sort of reaching this insane point because so with, with movies, you have uh, theaters, you have theater releases where... When a movie first comes out, instead of it going, you know, straight to DVD, straight to Netflix or whatever, where there's not that much money, it goes to the theaters where it's like, it's a big production, right? The screen is huge. There's popcorn, blah, blah, blah. And you'll pay for that because it's a, it's a different experience that you can't get at home. And musicians have a similar situation with things like Spotify um, and the iTunes store or whatever, where they, they don't actually make as much money as you would think from those. And in fact, they make very little money from Spotify, but they can go on tour and sell tickets because seeing a musician perform live is a cool thing that they can offer premium right? experience. And you can have people at the door. So you yeah. can't get it for free basically. Right. But as a game developer, uh, we aren't doing a performance and we don't have anything like the concept of a theater for release week, you know, uh, like what you see is it's all there is it's the only way we get to make money yeah and so with something like this two or 0.2 cents per minute or penny per five minutes um, that's all that that's all the money that there is and so uh, I don't know it just it kind of speaks to the state of the market where there's just so many games out there now and and as a result people have devalued that experience so much on a per game basis that they would rather <laughs> – it's like, just imagine this. Imagine if Amazon gave you the decision and they said, hey, you can pay one penny per five minutes to play games or you can save that penny per five minutes and we will harvest your data, right? Right. Like, I can I can still guarantee you that a shitload of people would be like, yeah, no, I'm not paying that penny. Yeah, most like, people <laughs> Uh, because that's basically what it's coming down to like that's actually the decision that you're making as a as right. person it's just a little more it's a little more obscured than that but that's what's happening yeah there's an article on the front page of polygon today about this game called Battle station Harbinger or battleship Harbinger oh, yeah I read, I read that article battle station I think yeah and this is interesting so it's a it's a premium app selling for four bucks uh got some sort of attention from iTunes and Google play and the developers are basically complaining about how they're they actually this was oh, I'm bro. pretty sure I linked to you guys uh, a week ago or so. Uh that same person posted in one of the subreddits, the gaming subreddits. Right. So yes, yeah, Seth mentioned yep. that. Yeah, making the same complaints. And his comp- he basically ended up I mean, he was sort of blaming the market for or the consumer, the consumer, right, for yeah. this, for the situation, uh which of course is not exactly the the, the thoughtful approach. Um oh, yeah, the I mean, market is <laughs> what it is. The market has two sides. Right. And both sides are, they're just clashing. Right. Is all. And the reality is, I mean, you to—you definitely have to meet people sort of in the middle, essentially. Uh, and you can't really, I mean, you can't expect with one game as an indie studio to turn the face of the market. And I think we've talked about this before, but part of the reason why we're comfortable doing premium with Crashlands is actually because of the fact that we're being on Steam. Well, that's the only reason. Right. Actually, if we, we weren't doing it, we would have had to go with the really nasty feeling uh, free-to-play model that we had, had dreamed up. Because um, there's there'd be little hope for it, frankly, uh, pulling its weight on mobile it's just not It's just not a mobile game. Right. But there's another interesting clause that uh, Adam found in that Amazon Underground thing, which is that your game has to be available also either on Google Play or iTunes. Well, they say a, a, some other platform. They don't actually specify, probably for legal reasons. But it has to be on some other platform. Right. And this is interesting. Because then, as Adam pointed out, you know, uh, you can either pay, you know, four bucks for this premium game or not pay anything. Oh, so they want to be able to draw a comparison. Yeah. And they essentially end up. They want to be able to say, yeah, you could buy this on Google Play or you could not buy it yep, on Google Play. Right. And we'll just give it to you. basically what ends up happening then is that uh, they had a. That is sinister, man. Well, They had a clever thing. So they actually they provide a dev calculator on the back end. Um, and it just says, how much money will I make with Underground? And you plug in. Sort of like how many minutes people have played in Google Play the last couple of months, whatever, um, and then you know it. And then there's the last question, which I thought was phrased so well by them, is this: What percentage of user minutes do you expect to migrate from your Google Play version to your Underground version? And the reality is that you're going to be cannibalizing those minutes. Yeah, because we just said earlier that when we crunch the numbers, the the payout rate that we would get from amazon underground is significantly lower than what we get from google play mm-hmm. well yeah and especially with a premium game yeah right. so the point I mean, there is that what that last question is asking is what percentage of user minutes do you expect to cannibalize from your other version which ostensibly is going to be providing also free advertising because yeah, we so know it's like so they're, they're the asking amazon you game. to specify how much lost revenue you're going to have right from <laughs> another place and i mean their, their yeah. goal here is i mean at least they're being f- obvious about it where they're like we know we're going to cannibalize some of your sales, essentially. And they recalculate how much money you'll make from it. But yeah, but as you noted, though, they're putting it in, in terms that make it sound like it's a sensible thing to do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. How many user minutes are you going to migrate? Um, so <laughs> business speed. So that's <laughs> yeah. you know, That's how we feel about Amazon Underground, I guess. It's the sort of thing we're like. Well, it's the same deal with like a humble bundle and that kind of stuff, right? Which which we don't have, uh, just FYI, we have no intention of being in a humble bundle. At certainly not within a year after the launch of any particular yeah. game. And it's the same deal. It's that when you, if if a player, players have come to expect that indie games, uh, especially on mobile, but indie games in general, will appear on a humble bundle pretty shortly after release, and as a consequence, many players will just patiently sit back and wait, and once they they can get it for literally or nearly free, then they get it that way, and so they're they're not they're not buying. They're not not buying your game because they can't or don't want to. They're doing it because it's worth it. It's worth the few dollars to them just to wait until it's free. Right. Which is fine. Which is fine. But, which it's is fine be- but that means that on our end, that, 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 that to us the incentive says, well, don't ever make it that cheap or and don't ever make it free. Right. Let it be known that it will not be that cheap basically. Right, and this is this is the same reason that people don't put stuff on Netflix until it's been out for a year. Right, so these, all of these systems are supposed to bolster what's called the long tail for us, which is essentially, okay, the game sort of has lived its life, right? If Crash ends up for a year or two years, has goes through you know a few like holiday sales and stuff like that on Steam. Yeah, and by that time, everybody who's willing to spend money on it has done it. Right, and so at That's that point, the we say, okay, this is now converting from our primary money-making tool to maybe just a good driver of of, you know, new fans who may be interested in something else. Yeah, cuz there can be some additional value besides just the the money, the money. Uh and then you say, okay, let's, you know, let's drop the price, make it 5 bucks on Steam, make it a, you know, 99 cents on mobile, uh and let let the masses sort of take it. Just as kind of a side thought to this whole discussion about sort of who is at fault in the market. Uh I've been sorry, this is like bouncing around in my head, but I was an economics student in college, and I'll, like I don't know if you guys have seen the supply and demand curves concept. The typical graph is like on the horizontal axis is, is price, and on the vertical axis is quantity. Under what you would expect under like a normal economics model, as the price of, of goods go up, more people will, are willing to sell it, but fewer people are willing to buy it right mhm in a weird way in the games market the supply is outpacing demand so unbelievably fast that there's virtually like the the intersection point is at zero right like the like the price of zero um and there's no room to move and the supply keeps going up like it just keeps going right. up well that's because people who are who are supplying including us right developers of games especially small so i mean the vast vast majority of games are coming from tiny indie studios of a handful of people Mm -hmm. that's that's just the fact right yes and the vast majority of those have no even the tiniest modicum of sense about what they're doing in terms of a business strategy yep and so they just make a game and put it out and that's it and and this is why they all fail or they almost all fail economics only makes sense as like if you look at all these curves and everything else those make sense when you have rational players on both sides, when you have a rational consumer and a rational provider who are – who both use price as a metric of Well, value. and when you have scarcity. And when you have scarcity, right. So, so in, uh, in the – especially the mobile space but now gaming in general because of how easy it is to make uh, or to, to put a game out there. Now, all of a sudden, there is no scarcity because also the good itself doesn't have to be transported and all this kind of stuff. So, that, so there's, there's no scarcity just of any particular good. There's no production cost. There's no, uh, so there's no mean, production on cost. On a per unit basis, right? Like, like if you sell a million games, you don't need to create a million right. CDs. But because just, all these studios aren't them. actually taking the business side of things into account, they're actually treating the supply side as if R&D also has no cost. Right? Right. And they're, cause what they're saying is games, nobody will buy games. They're out there for free. Uh, people are willing to pay $0 for it, And I'm willing to provide a game for $0. Yep. That's what the vast majority of people putting games out are, are saying they're, they're they're doing that calculation. Right. So yeah. So that, that curve, of course the curves here don't make any sense anymore for a lot of reasons. Cause they violate all the assumptions of economics. Uh, but that's really the, right. the problem is that, is that nobody, nobody making games you know, talking probabilistically uh, is actually doing it is like a even business. trying to make money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if What an insane industry. <laughs> <What crazy laughs> we've gotten ourselves. Into. It's so weird. Take like deviant art. It's yeah. a thing. I, I don't know to me, like video games uh, kind of make sense to think of more in the art space than anywhere else because of how they can be uh, infinitely propagated and all that kind of stuff. And, and so many people do it uh, as sort of like a, as a passion thing. And even if they don't want it to be doing it that way, that's still how they do it because they don't take a business approach to it. And the same way with art. And in exactly the same way, like you you know, look at something like DeviantArt, there's all kinds of awesome stuff in there. But still, the primary model is, well, you can just browse DeviantArt and download whatever the hell you want. Here, you right? can just have this. You can just have all of the things and that's the end of it. Um. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's weird. Right. I mean, the quality of the stuff you get on there is is insane also yeah there's some, some high quality stuff on there for sure yeah but you can just have it <laughs> right yeah hmm i don't well, know i we'll have to we'll have pretty weird where the merch comes in guys butterscotch t-shirts everybody this does kind of come back to a conversation that sam and i had earlier uh yesterday Basically, about the idea of if you, I think if you want to succeed in this industry, you need to move outside of the supply and demand curve. You need to create your own market. Well, yeah. If you make a generic match three game number 233,526 to or hit a the market. Clone. Uh, or a Flappy Bird clone. Or a Flappy Bird clone. Basically, if you're making a game that is comparable in a lot of ways to other games, then you are entering this insane market. Right. But if you make something that that doesn't really have an analog. So that it has scarcity. So that it does yeah, it does have scarcity because then And you apply a value to it by having it cost something. Yeah. And I think I think the next Star Wars movie is a great example of this. Because it is not a movie. It's a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Like you're not you're not gonna go. Yeah, I was going to see that, that uh, what Star Wars movie, but I already saw Fast and the Furious this year. So know, <laughs> right. right? Uh, you know, it's, like it does, it, it's not the same. It exists completely outside of the market. Yeah, it exists outside the market because it has an incredible fan base. And they have their own universe, and they therefore have their own economics that applies to their movie and their whole franchise. I think that's the only way to do it. So that's our small goal guys yeah that's our small goal is to well and that's that's really what we're trying to do by because you know absolutely yeah as, as we've talked about in previous episodes you know we're, we're trying to turn our our games into their own little universe where where there's a consistent story the characters you know appear in each other's each other's games and uh, then we have bscotch id that connects everything together with a social network so that we can just tell all of our fans hey we just made a new game right now all of a sudden we're outside of the market we just get to tell people when we make stuff, and they they come to have a certain expectation of what it means for a game to be a butterscotch game. So when we launch a new game, they don't say, "Oh, another game." I have to decide if I'm going to buy this or this other game over here. They'll just be super pumped because it's the next installment in of the a butterscotch in the game. Yeah, and yeah. so it's so it's now in the butterscotch games market. We have. 100% monopoly control over that market. Yeah, so. and that way we can just hang out in our own corner of the world with our fans and, well, if, and have well, a good time with everybody. Themselves. Well, everybody else is shanking each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that would be the ideal scenario. If they all shanked each other. All true. right, you guys, I think we're out of time mm-hmm. today. So we only managed to hit three questions. Uh, we do have some pretty insane questions coming up, including one about if the apocalypse came, what w- would we eat one of us, or would each of us <laughs> cut off a limb, etc. So I'm hoping we get some more crazy questions like that. Yeah, uh, coming up, and you podcast. have that to look forward in the next podcast. So this has been Coffee with Butterscotch. Again, we're Butterscotch Shenanigans, and uh if you want to play our games, you can go to games.bscotch.net. We have, I think, what four major mm-hmm. games out. Um, we do well, indeed. I, would, I don't know if major. Royd Rage is pretty tiny. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, We also have (laughs) have forums over at forums.bscotch.net. So hop over there and say hello and uh, throw us some questions, the crazier the better, uh, over at podcast.bscotch.net. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Peace.